All right, another month, another podcast with songwriters talking about the hits they've written for themselves and sometimes for others. And this month's guest has actually done a bit of both. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. But first, I want to thank you for taking time each month to download and listen to Write You a Song. We recently passed 14,000 downloads, and while I'm honestly not sure if that's a lot, I'm going to say it is because it sounds like it. Uh, I appreciate the interest you show in this podcast, and I hope you're able to share it with others who enjoy songwriting as well. This month, we're talking to a guy who started out as a musician and frontman for the early 90s band McBride and the Ride. They had some success, but when they broke up, Terry McBride caught a ride with Ronnie Dunn of Brooks and Dunn. McBride became kind of Ronnie Dunn's bus pal, and through several national tours, the two wrote some of Brooks and Dunn's biggest hits on the road between gigs. This guy is fun. He's amazingly talented. He even has some new music of his own coming out. Terry McBride, this month on Write You a Song. All right, so Terry McBride, welcome to Write You a Song. Thank you so much. Um, and we were just laughing, kind of getting ready for the interview. Uh, I had a chance to to just briefly, like, exchange waves with you on Ronnie Dunn's bus back in about 1996 when uh, Brooks and Dunn were playing a, uh, a fairgrounds here in, in Sacramento and had to go backstage and got to, you know, do a meet and greet. And Ronnie, uh, my partner, Pat, looked back and he said, is that Terry McBride? And you're kind of in the back of the bus. And Ronnie said, yeah, he's, he's coming out with us and, and writing some songs together. And uh, come to find out that was your your first uh run with with Ronnie and and kind of solidifying what became a really good working songwriting partnership. Well, it, it did Tom that as we were saying sort of before we got started here, I had had some experience with Brooks and Dunn. We were nominated for uh I think an ACM new group of the year in 92. Mm-hmm. So uh Diamond Rio, McBride and the Ride and Brooks and Dunn of course Brooke, we sold about a half a million copies that year, and Brooks and Dunn sold about seven million. So, uh, <laughs> needless to say, they took home the award that night. But, uh, <laughs> but I sort of struck up a little friendship with Kicks because he had written a, a song that went on to be a hit for me called "Sacred Ground," and uh, then ran into Ronnie at the awards. And then, as my band was winding down, Brooks and Dunn recorded one of my songs, a song called "I Am That Man." That was in '96, and then. Ronnie invited me over to his home. We we kind of hit it off, you know, like we we had a lot in common personally, musically. And then he said, "Man, I'm I'm getting off the band bus. I'm getting my own bus. And why don't you come join me? I'm heading out to California." And that was that run that that, that you uh, you had mentioned. We had we started out that they did a lot of cool fairs and festivals, and the Tonight Show worked our way up all the way up to uh, near Seattle and. Uh, a uh, 15 day run. I think we wrote 10 songs on that trip and had a couple hits actually that came out of that run. And that run led to 13 years. It was 13 years later before I got off the darn bus, but wow. it was, <laughs> it was certainly a wonderful and, uh, <clears throat> you know, very, uh, creative experience to say the least. You know, we, we had a lot of success and, uh, and a whole lot of, of fun while, while we were doing it. So it was, uh, it was great. I look back on it now, and it was just uh, a wonderful period and time in my life. What do you think? What was it that clicked between the two of you? <laughs> well, it was a combination of things, Tom. Uh, uh, vocally, we're both sort of those, you know, hillbilly tenors, and uh, we like that sort of rangy kind of melodies. So that played into my favor as far as me just throwing an idea melodically out to Ronnie, 
he could sing it, whatever I could sing. Of course, he could sing, and he's a fantastic uh, vocalist. And uh, so that was a big plus right off the bat. Then our family, our upbringing, our musical tastes were very similar. I mean, we had so much in common. We were really uh, surprised as we slowly got to know each other on that 15-day run. You really get to know a guy well on a 45-foot bus. Yeah. Nowhere. I could go to my bunk maybe, but that's about it. So we spent a lot of time, especially as the years went by. Uh, and then we did a lot of stuff outside of just touring. We did, we went on some great hunting trips. A lot of, uh, at that particular time, they were involved in NASCAR, Del Earnhardt and things like that. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of good, you know, buddy, friend, pal stuff. You know, it was just a lot of fun. But uh, we did, we had so much in common. And it was just a natural, Ronnie is uh, very sort of a, introverted type of person. He's not that outgoing. Mm-hmm. He is a star, you know, but he's not that comfortable in that spotlight setting. Now singing, he completely can own it, you know, but <laughs> so uh, he doesn't, uh, he was a little apprehensive about even inviting me to come out. Cause he just didn't have any real close person like that. And he hadn't been inviting anybody out. So we didn't know how it was going to go, but fortunately for me, uh, it, it went really well and, and continued to go well. Up until when they finally uh, called it quits, you know, back in 2010 or whatever that was. I was going through some of the over 20 <laughs> songs that you wrote for and with uh, Ronnie. And Did you write with Kicks at all? We did. Yeah, okay. we, we had a couple of songs. In there. And actually, when Brooks and Dunn took their break and Kicks came out, I had Kicks' single called New to This Town. Mm-hmm. Wish I was new. that with, with Mark Green, and I uh, had a couple songs on with Brooks and Dunn, I had a couple cuts that, that Kicks wrote. You know, after the show at night, and everybody's going from bus to bus, Kicks would come over and visit. Uh, mainly, I rode in, down the highway with Ronnie, but yeah, Kicks would come over and have a cocktail or a beer or whatever, and we'd start talking, and uh, it could sometimes lead to a, a songwriting session, and Kicks is just a wonderful, he's been so good to me as a friend over the years, very supportive, very... Um, you know, he's one of those guys, he has all the same friends from high school and college. He's just grounded, down-to-earth individual. And uh, once he met me, he just kind of treated me the same way. He just included me in all kinds of great things. And uh, So we just had a, a hoot, you know, out there on the road. It was so much fun. And if I remember right, New to This Town had uh, Joe Walsh on it too, right? That's right. He got Joe Walsh yeah. to play some really cool slide guitar. was a really good song it actually took off we thought we were going to have a hit and it ended up getting you know it, it was a little hit it just wasn't uh, the big song that we had all hoped for but that was a really good song i thought kicks really did a great job on that tune and it was fun it was just cool that he would wanted me to come be part of that process of him putting together a solo record yeah um and both ronnie and kicks accomplished writers them, themselves 
did they approach songwriting differently? What did you have to like adapt to each one, or were there similar? What was it like? No, not at all. You know, personally, they are different people, very different in mm-hmm. some ways. Uh, uh, but when it came down to business, and I'm talking like merchandise to whatever, they kind of saw eye to eye on who they were, their brand, their their music, and their direction. Now, when I came along. They were going through some changes. They were changing producers. Um, Ronnie was sort of, you know, isolating himself a little bit because he got this bus. You know, they were all on the same bus with the band for the very first few years of the success they were having. Then they got became so big that they wanted to start bringing family and friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but Ronnie had no Ronnie had family, but he had no friends. So. I came, I came along and became his, his only friend really at the time. And, uh, and before that he was just like hanging out on his bus by himself. So they weren't riding as much during that period. So I kind of came in and filled that void. And, um, uh, I didn't know the dynamics of what was happening on the road, but, uh, they would always sit down and, and, uh, they knew what they wanted to get, how they wanted their look and everything to come across together. They, would work on that and they were very smart about that and Kix is a very diligent writer he would bring his friends Bob DePiro who I know you've you've interviewed and talked with and uh, that's one of Kix's big buddies and I love Bob and just a great he's a great hang and a wonderful songwriter so uh, they both kind of had their own thing going but occasionally like you said when we were discussing earlier we, we would get together and write something and it was just fun you know after they come off the stage, they've got all that energy, and that's where I found if I had a good idea, I could capture that moment of, you know, Ronnie, he's kind of high from the performance, 15,000 people, you know, screaming and yelling for you, and then you get on the bus. What do you do with that? So we kind of channeled that into a lot of songwriting as we were going down the road. Probably wrote 90% of every cut I had with them was probably written on the bus. That is a fascinating angle and one I haven't heard yet. You talk uh, to a lot of songwriters and they have their, you know, songwriting sessions or, you know, they, <laughs> they, they keep their notes all over the place. But I haven't heard that approach before. Ronnie would come off of the stage and he'd just be fired up. And oh, yeah. is it like you just you've got the adrenaline going, the creative juices yeah. are flowing and you recognize that as a, as oh, a co-writer yeah. and you would try to just uh, kind of ride the lightning, so to speak. You're exactly right, Tom. When we were winding down that very first run of 15 days, we had written some good stuff. I knew we had a couple really good things, but I was thinking, man, if I could just come up with one more thing. And I was on the bus while they were, the show was going on. I could hear Ronnie singing, you know, and I had this little idea. I had a little bit of a chorus and it would turn into be a song called He's Got You. And a rangy kind of tune there again, something that Ronnie could really have a powerful vocal. And when he literally went off the stage onto the bus, I went, hey, man, I think I got an idea. He's like, well, play it for me. We sat down. By the time they loaded up and we had kind of a quick leave that night, they had a, you know, the crowd all uh, where we could get out with the buses. By the time we left, we got to the hotel. We had the song written that night, probably <laughs> a little less than an hour on that song in particular. I thought we would always the love we shared was gonna last forever once i was your one and only now
that it doesn't. And then one night in particular, Ronnie came off stage and he was excited. Uh, you know, some, uh, you know, hot chick down front was yelling at him to play something country, she was saying. And uh, so he bounced up on the bus. He goes, man, this hot chick's out there yelling to play something country. He goes, you know, that could be a song. And I went, man, it could. Let-. So we started playing and then he, he started singing in his head. He had this guitar lick that neither one of us could play, but he could hum it, you know, and sing it. So uh, when it came time to record that song, we both sang that lick into the guitar player's ear on each side. And he said, I talked to him later, JT Kornfloss, an amazing, amazing guitar player. He said, man, when you guys sat me down and sang that lick, he goes, I had no trouble playing it. You knew it so well. In hell of a time, I like Kenny Keith, Allen, and Patsy Klein. I'm a full grown queen bee looking for honey. I'll play something country. That was an instant, and one of those moments where uh, that energy from the stage just poured into a song, and it came from really that place. Then we're rolling down the road. Then you get a little bit of the verse. You get a little bit of the chorus. Now you're really excited, you know? And that led to many a 4 a.m. writing session, you know, or the sun coming up, really, a lot of days like that. Well, and that leads to an God. I've got like nine questions bottled up right now. Um, but when, <laughs> when when you hit the ground running like that with a play something country, which I think was their fastest rising number one that they've ever had out of all of their hits, which is remarkable. Wow! Um, wow! Is there a momentum that that you can and you kind of just answered that question? But is there a a real genuine momentum that you can ride and and get more songs out of it? Oh, absolutely! Once you sort of you know, strike gold with a song like that. And you look back at, you know, how much fun you had and how good it was. I found something interesting recently, Tom, I just released a, I just finished a new album and we have a couple of singles that have come from it. The album's coming in October, but uh, Luke Laird produced the album for me. And when I met Luke, he was on the road with Brooks and Dunn. He was selling merchandise. He was setting up meet and greets. He was doing whatever they needed. I knew him 
as just a great guy and had no idea he had any dreams of being a songwriter. And then he told me, we let him ride the bus with us once from Nashville to Canada. And Ronnie and I wrote a song called That's What She Gets for Loving Me. Mm-hmm. And he sat there quietly and just watched us write that song. Um, and he told me recently we were doing some interviews together to do a little PR for this album. And, of course, now uh, Luke just celebrated his, like, 24th number one song. He's yep. had a phenomenal career. But his take from it back then was like, man, I was just amazed at how well you guys worked together and how quickly you could come up with lines and how quickly you wrote that song, you know? And I said, wow, that's crazy because I barely even remembered it was that trip, you know, until <laughs> he reminded me. But At times I lay awake at night Stare at her laying by my side Knowing there in her heart as she sleeps She can forever count on me That's what she gets That's what she gets That's what she gets for loving me When you've got a connection like that and you feel comfortable and you can openly express yourself, then good things can sometimes come from that, you know, instead of uh, being a little apprehensive or a little embarrassed about the goofy idea or line you might spit out, you know, uh, with Ronnie, I felt very comfortable critiquing him even, you know, he, nobody did that to Ronnie and I do it all the time. I critique him and beat him up over lines and tell him his ideas were horrible whatever just to mess with him because nobody else ever did that to him and he loved that about me i even when he was singing live and saying stuff i was like man you're talking nobody can understand a word you're saying you know? it's like you're killing the audience he's like man nobody tells me that kind of stuff but he loved it that i would be honest with him and i use that same approach with songwriting just was honest and open and like i said sometimes good good things can come from that well how important is it during a collaboration to um as as Rodney Clawson, one of the other songwriters I've talked to, uh, put it, 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 to dare to suck, to not be afraid. To throw, <laughs> that, that, well, that's that's a good way to be, put it. Yeah, you you can't you can't just like hold back and only throw out your good ideas. You've got to kind of just throw everything against the wall. But you've got to be in a in a comfortable enough situation where you know if you do throw out a clunker of an idea, you're not going to get you know eye rolls or yeah. left out of the room. Well, that comes with experience. In the beginning, I was so intimidated because, Tom, I hit the ground running here in Nashville. I was fortunate. I met a couple good songwriters in Texas, a husband and wife team, Bill Carter and Ruth Ellsworth, sort of took me in through some little demos of mine they had heard and some very average songs with a decent vocal kind of thing. you know. But they saw something in me, took me in. And then uh, we went out on the road. I played in, t- in Bill's band, and we opened for Stevie Ray Vaughan all the way from Austin, Texas, to New York City and back. It was just phenomenal, about 1987. And uh, then we struck up a friendship. We started writing, and they just elevated my uh, songwriting immediately because all of a sudden I went from writing alone to writing with people who had written songs for Stevie Ray Vaughan, Fabulous Thunderbirds, and things like that. It was uh, I was fortunate to to have that experience, but I was intimidated. Then when I got my record deal, I came to Nashville. My label MCA, they took it upon themselves to start setting me up. My first co-write in Nashville and growing up in Texas was with Guy Clark, 
Wow. So, uh, oh my gosh, Tom, I was just, <laughs> I grew up in the 70s when the Texas music progressive country scene was exploding and Jerry Jeff Walker was a huge part of that. Willie Nelson, who I idolized, was my hero. Um, but I kept seeing these songs, I kept finding these songs that I loved, you know, Desperado's Waiting for a Train, L.A. Freeway, Rita Blue, and this guy named Guy Clark, his name was on it, you know, I didn't know who he was, but he was writing some of my favorite songs. So then fast forward to 1990, and I'm, my first co-write in Nashville is with Guy, and oh my gosh, I couldn't sleep, I uh, tried to have a few good ideas, a few bad ideas, you know, and just uh, (laughs) meeting my hero, I I met him. He's kind of a hulk of a guy, you know. And, and then I tried to germ him a bit and tell him how wonderful he was and what he meant to me. He's like, oh, the hell with that. You know, he was like, <laughs> and I went, oh, no, now I'm pissed off Guy Clark. You know, oh, just, I, was all, I, <laughs> I was all over the place going, oh, no, I just want him to love me and take me in. And, and you know, in a roundabout way, he did. I shared an idea that he liked. And then he we worked on it. We kind of hit it off. He just kind of made me feel uh, you know, he just welcomed in some sort of way. And I was just kind of getting started, just finding my way. But uh, through that song, then later he invited me over to his place and we kind of uh, continued to write off and on. I never wrote any one masterpiece with him. I think I was just too much in awe of him, you know, just I had him up on a level where I just couldn't be myself. I couldn't openly express myself like we're talking about, Tom, circling my way back to what you had mentioned. But uh when you are able to do that, yes, it, it works great. And I've had many a co-writer and friend that'll go, listen, this may sound stupid, but I want to I want to get it out there, you know. And a lot of times, as awkward, as strange or as out of the box as it may, the line or the idea might be, it's sometimes the cool line that gets you to the next line. What was the song you wrote with him? Do you, is it was it recorded? No, you know, actually, we did go back years later. He he contacted me and I think I was riding with him and he was getting ready to go back in and do like a little, uh, demo vault songs from the vault kind of project. Mm-hmm. Rodney Crowell was there that day. I don't remember the title of that song. Gosh, it's 1990. I, I have it in my file of songs, but, uh, and we did work on that song. And I think that might've turned into a little project for guy at that time, but, my whole thing with him was just, gosh, getting to be around him. And he had this wonderful little wood shop working area in his house where he was making these hand-built, wonderful classical sort of guitars that he was working on. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was a craftsman in many ways, you know, songwriting and woodworking. And uh, he was just an interesting Renaissance man. You know, it was just uh thrilling to just to kind of be able to hang with sort of a hero of that magnitude and of course he's the kind of guy when i told him you know what he have what a big influence he just he didn't care about that kind of stuff at all he just wasn't that kind of guy at all but certainly a gifted person i got to be part of the tribute to him in austin and it was just thrilling and uh, a lot of artists that i respect and look up to a lot of texas guys were part of that and i just was thinking man this is like uh some kind of dream come true just to be in the same circle of some sorts, you know, these type of people's rub elbows with them. And I just, uh, that's the great thing about this business. It's, I started out as a fan and uh, loved music, loved songwriters, and I could find their names. My dad had Billboard magazine because my dad was an entertainer, singer, mm-hmm. songwriter. 
And I'd start to see these names pop up, whether it was Harlan Howard or, you know, uh, whoever from the day in the 70s. And then I start to see Dean Dillon and just people that I like. And I start to see their names popping up a lot. You know, I just, uh, but they seemed bigger than life to me, you know, and then later getting to meet them. It was just such a thrill. Well, to a lot of young songwriters, you're bigger than life. You've got such a storied <laughs> career. When you do co-writes with young songwriters, are you, do you find yourself kind of empathizing with them? Because I'm sure they come into the room and they're in awe of you. Well, I, that's kind of you to say, Tom. And I have struck up uh, a lot of friendships with these younger artists. It's kind of part of my <laughs> career now. I guess I'm in my mentoring phase right. of my career. When I find somebody like that, it's a great feeling because, and I'm finding that with a lot of these younger Texas artists, they really look up to what I've done. And that's just the highest compliment, you know, to get that sort of respect from people who are wanting to do what I've done. And, uh, but they're, it's, it's a real genuine uh, feeling and, and they let you know that how much they appreciate your time and, 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 and your, and your craft of trying to, put these songs together but yeah it, it is interesting it's so funny because i was always the youngest guy no matter what band i was in and now i'm 62 this year so it's quite shocking but i relate I'm, to that uh, so much forever in radio i was the youngest guy at the stations that i was working at and now all of a sudden i'm i'm, I'm like you yeah <laughs> when did that happen i don't even i don't even remember when that you know like i swung past the balance point you know it's just like i, I I don't either, Tom. I'm in that same place. I mean, I still feel good. I, I, I can still sing. I, I went out last year and did about uh, played about 45 shows, uh, acoustic solo songwriter dates. Some of them were just fantastic and wonderful, and some were small and challenging. But overall, it was a great experience. But uh, I look up, and it's like, gosh, who is this guy? And where I recently have been doing – I took a 20-year break from performing. So when I came back, everything, a lot of things had changed. One, me, you know, the way I look. And <laughs> right. <laughs> started taking these photo sessions, and then I'm going like, what? where is that wrinkle, and where did that come from? And I was recently with a whole lot of young people and several young girls that helped me and work with me, uh, my project manager and my social media girls, all these people. They're just talented and brilliant. But I took them all to lunch one day, and I said, you're looking at the photo shoot. They're like, man, you look good. I said, listen, my neck, I don't know when that happened, you know, but I've got these wrinkles and things. So I told them, listen, don't get attached to your neck, whatever you do, because <laughs> it's the first to go. <laughs> if you're lucky, a pandemic will hit and you have to wear a mask all the time and people don't notice. <laughs> no kidding. That's not been that bad for me, honestly. I don't mind suiting up and masking up and hiding out. I wore sunglasses my entire professional career because of that. I could just kind of hide <laughs> behind them, I felt, you know. But, yeah, I'm not opposed to that one bit. What I talk just a little bit more about uh, writing with, with younger people, and do you learn from them? Oh, man, absolutely, because that, where they're coming from musically is so different. Yesterday I wrote with a 21-year-old kid from Texas, uh, just a great kid, Tristan Mars is his name. He's really kind of making a little bit of a name for himself down there. You know, lots of streaming and uh, lots of, he's still, he's not doing a lot of concerts right now, but he's one of those up and coming kind of kids. And just to hear how he got into music, how they learned about it and what he did concerts when he was in high school was a safe place to go and drink, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was interesting, you know, because, <laughs> 
when he would go see Cody Johnson, which his his group of kids when they were growing up in Texas, they loved Cody, and uh, they they didn't listen to to as much radio that little generation because you know they were having everything was on a phone or whatever you know. Mm-hmm. So they would start to share stuff, but of course, then Cody's on the radio now. So of course, that's all changed for them. But it was a safe place where he and his friends could get together, and they could just kind of, you know, have beers or whatever. And then they would, you know, they'd have someone get him home or whatever. He wasn't reckless and just careless completely. But it's funny how they found music and how they shared it and how they get to know it. And that's from a young, young kid, you know. So. That and then there are tons of these young guys that are programmers, and uh, it's 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 all over the map really with music these days. But you're you're right; it, it doesn't. Uh, if you're if you're really wise as you're getting older, you realize you still can learn something from this younger generation. No doubt about it. I'll tell you, getting ready for this uh, interview, you know, I went back and watched some old McBride and the Ride videos, which. <laughs> Took me back. God, how much did you guys spend on hairspray? Um, <laughs> but, it's embarrassing. I hate to even tell you, Tom. I hate to even admit the but, amount of hairspray. But, you know, we were a country <laughs> hair band. What can I say? The bullet was on fire, so we embraced it with all everything we had. I mean, that was the thing. But the the, the, the deeper thing is listening to those songs. <laughs> God, that was, like, seriously good country. You can count on. My songs were so simple. They came from a real simple place of, you know, loving those songs growing up, whether it was, you know, George Jones or Merle Haggard or Gary Stewart or whatever. I was influenced by tons of stuff when I was young. But uh, very simple uh, with, a, you know, hopefully a, a good melody and, uh, and, and, a, and a good, uh, you know, lyric that had a little bit of meat on it and something that could connect. You know, I knew what it took. And then eventually we ended up having a few of those songs that just really connected with that audience. And, uh, of course, our harmony thing was a big part of what we were doing back then. But we were such a good band. I recently found uh, last week, Tom, cassettes from board tapes from 1992. One of them was uh, Red Rocks outside of Denver. And it was opening for Winona on her solo tour, Us, How Catch 'Em and Winona. 
Um, but the crowd is amazing. The band is so good. We were doing about 200 dates a year. And um, now all these years later, I will play those songs acoustically, and they still connect. They still hold up. And I have the original fans, and now I have their children <laughs> of the original fans. And they are every bit as passionate as the uh, the moms and dads were from back in the 90s. It means so much to these kids. And I'm talking 20s, 30-year-old kids, you know, as far as, you know, I'm calling them kids, but they're adults. But uh, that's how they learned the music. And then, then it means so much to them. I hear from them, people like that all the time. And now by continuing to release new music and continuing to keep moving forward, I'm, I'm, I'm still building a little audience. And it's just been it, it's been ex- interesting and exciting for me at, at the same time, just to kind of still be in this after all these years where a lot of people just are not. It just music has such a way of weeding out those that just aren't completely committed and all in. It just can be brutal in the beginning, and there's just no glory, there's no money. And I've talked about that with a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people just can't take it and, and don't want to, and they go on and have careers and do other things. And and are even talented people. I have a lot of friends like that that are weekend warriors or whatever now. But uh, it's just it's an interesting business, and and I still find it interesting. I guess that's why I'm still able to continue to do a few things, even like this today. You and I talking about this stuff. It's like it's great. You you continue to find a way to stay in the business, and now you have this podcast that's really interesting, which I enjoyed a few of your episodes already, and. Um, if you don't do that, then you just quickly get left behind. You have to keep moving. Well, I, I love just hearing the excitement, enthusiasm, and, and enthusiasm in your voice. You know, after all oh. this time, you're still as stoked about it. And I, I, I still feel the same way about radio. I still love yeah. what we do. But the reason I brought up, you know, your your, your early stuff is that your latest stuff, um, the, the album. By the way, this is dropping in November, so the album, which is Rebels and Angels, is out now mm. by Terry McBride. Uh, but oh, the, cool. the two songs that I was able to listen to, Calling All Hearts and Rebels and Angels, the the title track. Yeah which we'll we'll get into a little more detail uh, in a minute. You have oh, that cool. same rootsy country sound. There for <laughs> for people who are nostalgic sort of for, I don't even know it's nostalgic. It's just it's like yeah. the baseline country sound and that's B A S E line country sound. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just it, it's it's pure and it's it's real and it's as country as it gets if that makes sense. Wow. Well, that's good to hear, Tom. And yes, I completely understand what you're saying. And it's become very evident to me uh, this uh, recently, uh, you know, I'm from Texas and a big part of my audience is there. California was a huge market for us back in the day. We did a lot of touring out there. So I've released a uh, a little single. This Texas m- music scene is so popular. And the and single, that kind of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. No, go, 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 no, go ahead, Tom. Well, I was going to say, the, the, the single is called Calling All Hearts. That's it. That's the single. And and their their feedback to me is, wow, it sort of has a little bit of that 90s vibe. We can recognize your voice from that era, but it still feels like it fits on the radio. And that's just the best. Yeah. I mean, to hear something like that for a guy like me, that's just the best great feedback. It started out harmless and innocent, just like it does every time. She said I was the one, so I went with it. Oh, and I lost more than my mind. And she walked out for no reason. She left me lonely and broken in pieces, calling all hearts. 
comes to love, she'll still be blind. Oh, look at that good, all the baby crying. She's a wanted woman by every guy at the bar. Is, is one that you actually wrote with uh, Chris Stapleton. And so you, you co-wrote with him. And then you've got one of the most phenomenal female voices of all time singing back up on it, Patty Loveless. It, it just talk a little oh. bit about Rebels and Angels, the title track. You bet. I mean, Tom, that was like uh, I was on a, a period where I was writing a lot of Chris Stapleton. And we were fortunate. We had some really cool cuts, you know, from Alan Jackson to – whoever during the period of whatever time we were writing heck, you know, Chris could get a song cut on just a work tape. His vocals are so fantastic, but that particular song rebels and angels is I was trying to think about putting an album together. I love that song. And I knew in my heart, it will never be recorded. One, it's just so country. And two, it's a waltz. I mean, it had everything going against it, you know, and uh, but I love the song. And then one day when I was listening down to it, it just like a light bulb went off. It's as if I'd heard it for the first time. And the lyrics, uh, lyrically in that song, it just lent itself well to a duet. I mean, it's rebels and angels. It's this rebel and it's this angel. And when I start thinking about an angel, Patty Loveless just came to my mind because I'm such a fan of her. She's one of my favorite singers of all time. And so it was a ballsy thing on my part to do. I hadn't talked to Patty in a long time. She hit me right back and said, Terry, I love this song. And uh, she made this song so special and it became sort of the centerpiece of this new album just because I had her on there. And I just love how country it is. My favorite part, Tom, of that song is so country, fiddle and steel right off the bat. But then when it modulates and we go into the second verse for Patty, that fiddle and steel on that turn, it just kills me. It's like something you don't ever even hear anymore, but that's why I love it. so different than, and you kind of downplay it and you know, it wouldn't get airplay today but then in the next breath you're saying you know, people are interested in it and I think people are yeah. interested in that stuff because it is different because it is yeah. it reminds you it's very reflective of something that we're familiar with but at the same time it's something completely new well you're exactly right and it's songs like that Tom and it's artists that sort of take a chance every now and then uh, I don't know what I have in store for me in the future. And I really didn't have any master plan going into it. I just knew I'm at a place where 
I could record a song like that. I don't have anyone telling me what I can or can't do. So I'm just kind of going with my gut and my taste and what I want. And that song just called to me. And because of that, like you said, it's either reminiscent or it has the qualities of something that's either missing or it it reminds people of whatever. But the response to it has just been so wonderful that uh, I really can't wait to see what happens next. One of the things that I found about a lot of the songwriters that I've talked with is versatility, even if it's accidental. And in your case, a song, I think you wrote it for Easton Corbin, Are You With Me, became yes. a an EDM hit. Yes. The, the biggest song I've written to date, Tom, is an EDM hit. I'm a... I'm a country singer, I'm a country songwriter, and the biggest song I've had is that European smash. It was just this kid from Belgium heard a, sort of an unplugged, stripped-down version of Easton Corbin doing it on uh, you know YouTube. He was just surfing the internet, whatever. And he loved this little octave, which Easton's version is very slow ballad. Wrote that with Tommy Lee James and Shane McAnally. And it's da 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 very slow. I wanna dance by the water neath the Mexican sky. Drink some margaritas by a string of blue lights. Listen to the mariachi play at midnight Are you with me? Are you with me? He loved that. That's what he loved the most. So being an EDM guy, he took it and sped it up. I want to dance by water neath the Mexican sky Drink some margaritas by swing a blue light Listen to the mariachi play at midnight Are you with me? Are you with me? And uh, even though the song had three verses and a chorus, he only used the first verse over and over and over. And the kid, his name was Lost Frequencies, but he was sort of an unknown at the time. He had had a couple covers. He licensed this song as a cover, so we... We we kept 100% of the song, the, the copyright, and he didn't even ask for anything, which isn't usually the case with an artist in Europe. But uh, And then he released it, and it just took off, and there was no stopping it. So the summer of, I think, 2015, it was the uh, one of the biggest songs in uh, in Europe and the U.K., Australia. Ended up being number one in 18 countries and top 10 in 30, and phenomenal i looked the other day the video has 320 million views on youtube <laughs> listen to the mariachi play at midnight are you with me are you with me we can change the wild just to, to kind of wrap this up just to send it on out i, I did want to ask yeah. you uh, out of all of the songs you've written what would you put in your top two or three and they don't even necessarily have to be hits but what is a song or two where you point to and go man i absolutely hit that one out of the park well i think you know just looking back on my career uh, you know those first couple cuts are just unbelievable when you get someone my second cut was george Strait, and it was uh, i came to town thinking i was going to get a george Strait 
uh, cut because I didn't know you couldn't, you know. But uh, and I wrote that with Jim Lauderdale, who I dearly love, and that was a wonderful moment. It's a song called "Nobody Has to Get Hurt." We can do this thing right, fix what went wrong, really make this work. Turn around real slow, walk straight back to me. Nobody has to get hurt. We can do this thing right. And then later went on to get a song with Marv Green called Always Never the Same. That was a title of George's album. I know why I'm intrigued. You keep surprising me. Somewhere between the lines, there's no Those songs are so special because I just uh, put George Strait up there in that category that's just almost untouchable. You know, I can't even imagine that I know him or have had songs recorded by him. And then I think Cowgirls Don't Cry is a special song to me just because how it kind of finally came together. We really used Reba as the inspiration for that song. And uh, then we sent it to her like four in the morning, the work tape and the lyric. But Ronnie and Kicks cut it even though she wanted to, and then she demanded she be on it, and that's how she ended up getting on it. They had already cut it without her, and we went in and recut it quickly. It was crazy. Her daddy gave her her first pony, then taught her to ride. She climbed high in that saddle, fell I don't know how many times. He taught her a lesson. It's just one of those songs where a lot of stuff came together and it was just all wonderful when it did, you know? Hey, do you golf? Uh, I haven't much. I used to be a golfer. It's so sad, Tom. I was a, a golfer when I was young. Then I got away from it, and then trying to get back to it has been, oh, my God. I'm like Vince Gill. I'm throwing clubs. It's like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> I remember it's asking. so frustrating. I asked Vince so Gill one time. We were at the, the CMAs or something, and Vince, had, he was going doing the, the radio station thing, and he sat down, and, and we, we had talked to somebody who had golfed with him, and they told us that he was a club thrower. And, yeah. and so that was like my lead question. I go, so Vince, we hear you're a club thrower. And he just gives me this cold stare and he goes, I'll throw you. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is that um, if everything goes well, and we're able to do events next year. There is an event here that we do in conjunction with uh, the oldest golf course in Sacramento. And it's called Golf and Guitars. And there's actually oh, a, cool. it's a song. They do a songwriter night on the first day. You'd be perfect for this event. Keep me in mind. I'll fake my way through the golfing or i'll just visit with people during yeah. the day or whatever and the thing but, is you don't have to golf you can just you can yeah, hang that'd out be great Those, here's how bad a golfer i am thomas years ago mcbride and the right had 
we came out with Amarillo Sky before Jason Aldean, like yeah. three years before he had it. We really liked that record. So uh, Kason asked us to come out and do a celebrity golf thing, you know. So I tried to polish up, tried to get my off the tee box. I wanted to at least be able to drive, you know. And then they had a rule where if you didn't drive past the, the women's tee, you had to drop your pants, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Somebody into the tournament, I, I had no pants or shirt on. That's, how, <laughs> that's where I was. <laughs> it was not good, but I'll be damned if I still didn't have a good time. You know? <laughs> man, you are amazing. Thank you again. Oh, Tom, likewise, man. I really enjoyed that. I look forward to catching the podcast and see how good luck on the editing on that, but I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Hey, thank you. Sure. Have, a, have a great oh, day. You bet, Tom. Hey, take care out there, man. Okay, will do. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Phone rang early one morning Her mama's voice, she'd been crying Said, it's your daddy, you need to come home This is it, I think he's dying She laid the phone down by his head The last words that he said And that's a wrap for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Thank you again to Terry McBride. Thank you for listening, for downloading over 14,000 times since we started this thing about a year and a half ago. Uh, If you ever want to reach out and find out anything about a past episode of Write You a Song or one of the songwriters, feel free to get a hold of me at tmailey, M-A-I-L-E-Y, at bonneville.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's just at K-N-C-I, Tom. And next month, we're going to be talking to another red-hot, up-and-coming songwriter. But I don't know how not to think about you Just rocking all night long Somebody else will find Walk up and ask your name right Adam Hambrick, next time on Write You a Song. Yeah,